If you'd please turn to Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We are in Psalm 19 again, and I hope that you will keep your Bibles open with us as we continue in Psalm 19. Last week, we saw that Psalm 19 is a psalm in two parts, uh, the first part being one, verses 1 through 6. You can see it there. The uh, second part of that, ref- that reflection of God, on God's revelation is verses 7 through 11, and we're going to spend our time this morning uh, moving toward a reflection there. Uh, the psalm actually ends with what I think is, uh, in verses 12 and 13, are an application, and verse 14, a benediction. Uh, and so really, I think that, that, that they wrap up the whole of the psalm there. There's a few things that I would just want to remind us of as we begin together looking at Psalm 19. Uh, we have these two parts, creation that reveals and proclaims the glory of God, and we have the Word of God that proclaims the glory of our God. Last week, we were in part one, and a reflection on creation, specifically the glory of God that's revealed not just generically in creation, but specifically in the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then in part two, uh, we have a reflection upon the word, a psalm that, that holds forth the precious value of God's own law to guard against evil and to lead one's life in what's beautiful and good. And this is what we'll spend our time reflecting on today. Again, as a reminder, there are a number of distinguishing marks that are in these two parts of Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, we have the beginning of the psalm that begins with the heavens declare the glory of God. God, the word that is there in Hebrew is the word El. God refers to the title of God. It's not his name. God's name is not God. God is what he is. It refers to God as maker. God is the being of greatest might and glory. There's no one higher or above God. And then what you see, if you go down to verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. 
Well, that's interesting. We've moved from a reference to God to a reference to this Lord. Lord is God's own revealed name. He is the I am. And when we, when we see the word Lord, we should, we should think of Yahweh. We should think of, of the I am. And we should think of the covenant-keeping God, the one who has come drawn near in steadfast love and mercy to reveal himself to a particular people, an imminent near God. So we have these two, this title for God, and then this, the Lord, the name of God. Let's be clear, we're not talking about two gods. These are not two deities. There is one Lord and God. The, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, as we'll read later in our time, as we turn to Deuteronomy 6 later in the message. The glory of the Lord is the glory of the Lord God Almighty, okay? This is what we're talking about in Psalm 19, and yet there is a contrast. There's a contrast from, from looking at the God who is high and lifted up, who is powerful, whose glory is revealed in the heavenly places, to a God who is near enough to have spoken to us, to have given us what is perfect and pure and good for a specific people. He's spoken to us, not just by the stars, but by the word. He's made himself closest and precious to the soul. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning, your word that is about your word. Lord, I pray that we would go to your word with an expectation that all of what is beautiful and precious about your word in this psalm is actually true of what we're receiving by your word today. I do pray that you would make this meditation, that you would make this reflection acceptable before you, profitable for your people, for your glory and for our good. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for these things in Jesus' name, that great word and God who is with us, Emmanuel. In his name we pray, amen. This morning, um, we are going to reflect a great deal. Uh, I've tried to think hard about the Psalms, particularly as we're moving in August to Romans chapter one, the second half of Romans. We're gonna go back to Romans and spend some time in there, just reflecting what what is reality? And what does it look like to live in this world, the world that actually is? And I think the first part of this psalm describes reality in the light of the glory of God. If you look at the first words, verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God, not merely that the heavens are glorious, and we would agree. And look at the heavens, they're glorious. The the sunsets this week have been just outrageous, I mean, if, if you've taken the time to see them, and I encouraged you to last week, so maybe you did, if you see these sunsets, they're, they're glorious. But they are not declaring their glory. They're declaring the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. They tell us something about reality and something about glory. One of the things I think that they tell us is that the heavens are firm. They're fixed. They're moving and yet they seem unmovable, right? There's no, we can't interact with the heavens in such a way that we could adjust or change anything of their glory. They are visible and they're visible everywhere. 
All of creation reality lives in light of the glory that is revealed in the heavens. And what is that glory? The glory of God. All of everything everywhere in creation lives in sight of what is being revealed about God's glory. There is a point that I will be pressing throughout the whole of this message. It's a point that I've been reflecting on for years. I think it is a central point in the scriptures, and we will continue to reflect on it as we go to Romans 1 in August. What Psalm 19 says about the heavens is not negotiable. It is what it is. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's true. It's real. And the glory that they declare is what it is. God's glory is even more fixed than the heavens that declare his glory. And it is a great grace to us that the glory of God, which the heavens declare and proclaim, may be seen and heard by we who live deeply embedded in an ever-changing self and creation. You and I live in light of a glory that is great. You see, we do not transcend creation. And even within creation, we are not above the heavens, but we are below the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God, and we are those who see it. We are the receivers of the proclamation. Our existence is as creatures to live beneath revealed glory. Some of the things I'm going to say are like, I mean, yeah, what's the big deal? I mean, just compare what I just now said to the way that we live our lives. We are creatures that live beneath revealed glory, and yet almost every popular song and movie and jingle today says, look inside of yourself for great glory. And before you get on what the jingle writers are saying, look at the way you and I live our lives. We live our lives as if we were the great glory, as if my appetite is that which ought to be reflected upon and satisfied. We are not glory. We on earth do not shout up to heaven and declare and proclaim our glory. We might fit and rage and we might more likely pout and fuss, but no amount of our speech or our words changes the reality of heavens. You know what I'm talking about. I want you to go and think about a moment in your life and perhaps this week when you have pouted Were you fussed? Were you fit or raged because something has in some way thwarted the path of your own glory? Right? You have. I have. And we fit and we rage, but we can do all of that. And, you know, the planets just keep kind of going like this, you know? (laughs) And the stars, they just keep on shining. And the sun comes out and it blazes with a powerful heat that we know it this week, right? 
It's been blazing like that the whole time. The sun has been blazing. We would do well to pause for a moment and listen to that which is unchanging, that which is proclaiming glory rather than listening to our appetites, our stomachs. I want you to look at verse 4, the second half of verse 4. There's an illustration that the psalmist gives us, an example. He says in verse 4, In them that is in the heavens, these heavens that are proclaiming the glory of God, in them he has set a tent for the sun. So it's like a theater stage has been all set up for the sun then to be a main actor. A tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. So we have this one actor playing two parts. And in these two parts, he is revealing the glory of God. It's rising, it says. The sun's rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit is to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, you're probably wondering at this point, we've spent a lot of time in the first six verses. I thought we were on the second set of verses. I thought we were in part two. Well, my concern is that we would forget that the psalmist gave us the first part of the psalm to tell us something. That's why we listened to it last week. And to set us up to know something going into the next part of where we are going. What is it? Nothing is hidden from its heat. As The sun shines on all of creation. The law of the Lord is the perfect way for all peoples. From its rising at one end of the heavens to its circuit to the other end of them, all peoples everywhere are to receive the law of the Lord. They live in light of his glory everywhere. We can either live in the light of the sun or we can skulk and rage in our darkness. But the sun's still shining. Even those who have not seen the light of the law know the reality of its effects. We know its heat in our life. One of the powerful things about really converting to Christ and his way is, oh my goodness, so many of the ways in which I once walked, like, Dave, like, like James read for us from Ephesians 2, so many of them were vain and, and folly. And I suffered so greatly. The light of the heat of the way of our God was true even when I walked in darkness. The reality is still what it is. We are still embedded in creation, living beneath the proclamation of the glory of God. Another one way to put it is we are under the sun creatures. Like we live in light of the sun. All that we are and all of the way that we are is in light of the sun and its heat. Like that is just a factual reality. It's real. There is nothing, the psalmist says, that is hidden from its heat. Another way to say it would be that the Lord has spoken and it is. Light and heat from the beginning to the end, everywhere, what the Lord has spoken is true. The Lord has said, let there be light, and there was light. Not like if you want a, if you want a light, 
If you will agree with the Lord and have faith that there is a light, there will be light. No, there is a sun in the heavens. And as much as there is a sun in the heavens, because the Lord spoke and there was light, the Lord spoke his word and his commands and his way, and that's the way things are. Whether you hear it, whether you believe it, whether you live in alignment with it or not, it is what is. The Lord has spoken into creation a perfect way, and so this alone is the perfect way. Every other way is a false way. And man, does my appetite, my desires have so many other ways. They are all false ways. God has revealed glory, and that glory alone is glorious. Every other way is, I don't know what isn't glorious, but it's not glorious. All of this is to prepare us to consider the law of the Lord. The glory of God, the Lord of steadfast love and mercy, has actually spoken. Like he has spoken. He didn't just send a son in the heavens. He gave word in creation. And by his word, he has revealed who God is and what is his way. And in light of his glory, we discover I mean, who we are and what is our way. And this, this really is the essence of what I think we're supposed to go to the scriptures to ask. Who is God? And what is he describing as what he deems to be good and right and perfect and sweet, nourishing and righteous and glorious? Who is God and what is his way? And if I can find out that, then I might discover, well, I'm not that what am I? What did a creation like, well, a creator like that make in a creation like me? What does it mean that I bear an image like his? And what does it mean that I have a way to walk that is in light of his glory? Over 50 years ago, a man named Francis Schaeffer wrote two books among many others. These two books are powerful Their very titles are a pithy summary of a baseline that I think we ought to come to conclude out of Psalm 19. The first title book was The God Who Is There. And and the whole of the book is just situating you in this reality. The, The God of glory declared and proclaimed by the heavens above is the God that is. He is there. And then he followed it up with this book. He is there, and he is not silent. He's he's there. And the great and glorious one that's beyond our comprehension, like like the only thing that we, we can see that can give us a little glimpse of his glory is the sun, He has spoken. Not just by a sun or by stars or by reflection upon sunsets, but with his own words, he's spoken. Neither the heavens nor the God who made them are mute. We are not alone in the universe. 
it turns out there are words. It turns out that in the universe there is a voice and they tell us of a glory that is above ourselves and the way that we are to live in light of creation is the way that's revealed by the word of our God. And so we come to our passage this morning, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. It, it perfectly aligns with reality. All of what's been shared, all of what's been held up so far is the great glory of our God and the order of creation. Creation is what it is because God is who he is and he's done what he's done, so be it. Like I can think this way or that way about it, but it is what it is. And I'm either thinking rightly or wrongly, but it is what it is because reality is what it is because there's a God who made it. And then he spoke. And when that God spoke, what he spoke aligns perfectly with reality. I say words, you do too. I'm a pastor, I say a lot of words. And not all the words that I say align perfectly with reality. It's one of the troubles of being a a human who says a lot of words. But there are words by the one who made all things and who is himself glorious that he has spoken that are perfect. (laughs) They align perfectly with what is real. The law of the Lord is the perfect expression of how we are to live in light of what is real. Now, it begins with the law of the Lord. We would do well to ask, what is this law? The word law here is the word Torah, or what Torah can mean a number of different things. It can reference a number of different things. It could reference the Torah of the commandments, the Ten Commandments. It could reference the Torah, which is the five books, first five books of the Bible. It could reference all of what God has spoken in his word. I would take us back to, and I didn't put this on the whole of the screen, um, in part because it's lengthy, but also because I want you to turn there. Please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. The commandments have just been given in chapter 5. God's prophet Moses continues to instruct the people in light of God's law. He says in verse 6, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God, you see that, Lord, your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God. You see, there's glory and then there's living in light of that glory. That's called the fear of the Lord. You and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commands, which I'm commanding you all of the days of your life. Because like, we'll tell you what, whichever day in which the sun does not exist or provide light or heat for the universe, for for our world in which we live as an under the sun people, well, on those days, perhaps you could live in light of some other glory. (laughs) 
But all of your days in which there is a sun in the sky, those are the days in which it would be wise to live in light of the command of the Lord. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Where are the stars when you look into the sky? Everywhere declaring the glory of God. We who have received the very word of God Where ought that word be? Everywhere. That they would declare the glory of God. This is what Moses is instructing them in. The the picture is that the disposition and the labor, the effort of the people is to see themselves as conformed to the reality that is revealed in the law and to see themselves in such a way that just like the sun rises day after day because day after day its heat and light are needed, so too must the word arise day after day because its heat and light are yet needed. The glory of God has spoken, and the business of creatures is to shape themselves around what he has revealed. I want to try and put this another way. What is God's law? God's law is what it is. Or better yet, the law is the way that reality is. The law of God is a description of what is. Think of gravity for a moment. The laws of gravity describe the movement of objects toward one another based on their mass. And that's about all I know. The law of gravity describes what it is, right? Gravity is what it is, and it does what it does, and this is the way it is. And then the law of gravity aligns to that reality to describe what is. Let's say you never studied gravity. Maybe that's not a stretch to say you've never studied gravity. Better yet, let's say that no one in all of history has written down any information that is known about the laws of gravity. Is not gravity still what it is? Right? And then, do objects not yet, apart from the revelation of the law of gravity, Do objects yet not move toward one another? Does not the great mass of the earth still pull the small mass of the apple toward it? This is true whether you've paid attention to it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you really have observed it or not. And it was true before Newton gave that apple any attention and wrote down what he observed about what was happening in the universe. It was still true. Gravity, because the law is what it is. 
because reality is what it is, whether or not it's spoken or known or written or revealed. So it is with God's law. God's law describes what it is, what it is to exist in this universe that he has made. The law describes reality, and it does so perfectly. And so the evil of idolatry and the evil of murder and the beauty of the love of God and of the love of neighbor is true whether or not it had ever been written down or not, whether or not you even know it or not, it's real. And he is there. That's why it's real. Oh, and he is there and he is not silent. And we call that the word of God. We do know it. We do know who God is and how he has revealed for us to live in the light of his glory. We know God's law because the Lord himself has revealed what his law is in his word. He's taken true but hidden things and he's revealed them to a covenant people with perfection and clarity. That's what the psalmist is talking about. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul, and it's sure, and it makes wise the simple. This is why we can't speak of the law of the Lord and the word of God. This is why we can speak of the law of the Lord and the word of God interchangeably. We can think narrowly or specifically of the law as Ten Commandments, summarized as these two tablets of the law, or we can think of the law in a summary form with those two tablets, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, Or we can think of the law as the full counsel of all of God's written word, the scriptures, its narrative, poetry, wisdom, and prophecy. Or we can think of the word of God as God with us, God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, of whom the Father says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Why listen to him? Because when he speaks, He speaks God's words in perfect alignment with reality. God's word, his glory and his way is what Jesus means when he says in the Great Commission. He he continues, yes, go and make disciples. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Give attention to the fullness of my words. Because my words alone are the words that align perfectly with reality. God's law is what is true about reality. And God's laws aren't aren't like a, a reference book alone. They are grace to us. He is the God who is there. And because he is gracious, because he is a God of steadfast love and mercy, He is the God who is there and not silent. So God's law is not just a a bland reference book of description of reality. It becomes graced to us, an act of self-giving generosity of God to reveal the law. 
to us. And so we live in light of its heat everywhere we are. We feel the light of the heat of the truth of God's word in our bones and experience its consequences as we stumble along in the darkness. But because of revelation, we can actually walk in its light. That's grace. It's going to be true that so many of our appetites as as rebels as self-centered, self-righteous people, as a people of the fall, that so much of who we are is stumbling and not in alignment with reality, so we shouldn't be surprised that we would fall down and hurt ourselves and hurt others as we pursue our own way. But God's grace is he's given us light by which to see. And all of a sudden, I hope tons of psalms are coming to your mind right now. Your, your word is, is a light to my feet, right? Lighting a, a path before me so, so I don't stumble. I can finally see. I don't just know my own way, how I would make my way, and what I figure the world is like. But you show me what is reality. What the psalmist holds out, and we need to go very quickly through them, is six perfections, law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear of the Lord, and rules. Psalm 119 goes through much of the same list. As we consider them for a moment, one at a time, we remember that what we are reflecting on is we're reflecting on reality revealed. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Again, the law of God is in perfect alignment with reality. It is the perfect in all of its perfections. It's accurate but it's also valuable. It's a law that is complete, sufficient, without error. And because the law is real, because it speaks to what is actual, not what is comfortable, but what is actual, it brings about actual revival of the soul. Not a momentary comfort, but actual life. Submission to the law of God, therefore, is nothing, therefore, short of faith. Submission to the law of God is is not simply a rational decision-making process, though it is rational. If there is a God who is real, he made all things, and then he spoke to us, revealing perfectly what those things are, we would be irrational to ignore him. It's rational. But that's not where our hearts work. That's not how you make decisions. That's not how your desires work, nor mine. It's a matter of faith to lay down our desires and say, Lord, I trust you. I don't see things that way, but that's because my, the light of my eye is darkened, but your son gives perfect light. By faith, we conform to the glory of the Lord that's revealed in his word. And as we do, we find ourselves living in alignment with reality rather than opposition to the truth. And and that sounds like being revived. It sounds like having life, perhaps, for the first time. If the law revives the soul, is it not true that life apart from the way of the Lord is actually a path of dying? Well, that's the testimony of the scriptures. It's what... Ephesians 2 spoke of dead in trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Oh, we were walking, but the way of that walking is death. 
What you need is your soul revived. The second half of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, and it makes wise the simple. We have the ability to hear God's own wisdom and way. I have lots of thoughts that bang around in my head. It's one of my problems of being me, is I have too many thoughts that bang around in my head. But what I need, and my greatest joy in reviving moments, have when those thoughts have calmed down, and I get to actually listen. And what I hear are not words banging around in my head. I hear word that is revealed from the glorious one. And he makes this simple man wise. I can't tell you how many times someone said to me things like, yeah, but you're a pastor. You went to seminary and so you know these things. Let me be very clear. Please trust me on this. I'm telling you the truth. I know one thing and in all integrity, I I did not give much attention to that one thing until a full 10 years into ministry. About 10 years into ministry, I actually began to devote myself in my thinking, in my reading, and in my meditation to the word of the Lord. There's nothing special about being a pastor. I mean, you have one. You have access to the word. He's there and he's not silent and he's spoken within your hearing. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that the simple testimony, that that word alone has actually made this man wise. It's not a statement about me now, is it? It's a statement about grace. A grace that is for all who would hear and receive it with faith. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. They're right, not wrong. They do not misinform, and they do not lead astray. They do not need a little adjustment for our culture, you know? (laughs) They, they, They need to be heard and received because they are right and not wrong. There's a lightness and a freedom and a joy and in the integrity of walking in God's perfect revealed way. Follow the progression so far. You've heard what it's said so far, right? that the law of the Lord revives and it makes wise and it rejoices. It sounds like the one who hears and heeds the word of God is a flourishing man, a man who is opening up with wisdom and rejoicing. For all the spiritualism of our present age with all its talk of, of listening to the universe or aligning our spirit with other spiritual pathways, What of aligning your life not to some amorphous spiritualism that's mostly defined by your own inner desires? What of aligning yourself to the perfect, sure, and right revelation of the maker? In this way, in this way only, is there life and wisdom and joy. Well, I know why. I know why we tend to do this. It's because... By speaking about a universe and spiritualism, we have a sense of alignment to vagaries of the universe that free ourselves to define the law for ourselves. And so we do become a law for ourselves. But it's not working well for me. There's too much stumbling. There's too much darkness. There's, I've not become wise in myself. 
We can pretend that we're aligning ourselves with the universe, that which is outside of ourselves, but in reality, we're simply trying to align the universe to ourselves. But friends, you and I are not that great of a glory. We are not the sun of the solar system. We are not the great revelation. We are those who receive it. Verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The law of the Lord is revealing. That's why we call the law of the Lord, we call the scriptures, we call the word revelation. We're no longer ignorant. We're no longer left to self-discovery. There is that which has been revealed to be received with trust. Like, I trust you, God, that what you've said is, is actually true about things that I cannot see myself, but I can test them. I can test his ways and see if his ways make me wise. I can test his ways and walk in them and see that they rejoice the heart. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. There's a permanency. Again, going back to the sun, the word is like the sun. There's a permanency. He who fears the Lord has no fear of anything else. I am literally immortal. Like, comma. <laughs> Until the Lord would put an end to me. What do I have to fear? Except for the wisdom of the great God of steadfast love and mercy, sovereign over my own life. If the Lord blesses and keeps me, if that's true, I'm blessed and kept. It's true. The fear of the Lord of glory. How do I fear him? By giving great weight to his word. By believing what he has revealed. Verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Nothing of God's law will be contradicted by reality. Test it. Keep testing. Keep examining. Keep paying attention. But what you will find over and over again is that the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God's law is as real as the stars in the heavens above. I've shared this with you before, but... Along the way, I've asked the youth at Cross Point Coast, what would the world look like? Like, just imagine for like, stay with me. If all humanity said, you know what, that whole Ten Commandment thing, from all the way from honor the Lord your God, all the way to not coveting, what if all of humanity said, you know what, let's give it a whirl. Let's <laughs> go and, you know, Walk like that. And then, by some grace, we're transformed so that we weren't doing battle with our other desires <laughs> and actually walked in the way of the Lord. Is that a better or worse universe? Not, not with like kings and authorities beating you over the head for not doing it, but like if everyone actually wanted to walk in the good and perfect way of the Lord. Is that a better or worse universe? Friends, the rules of the Lord are true. They're righteous altogether. You can test them. You can imagine 
them, and they bring a sweetness. There's something that I want to share with you. I'm not going to share it this morning. I would point you to the notes on the podcast later this week as a reflection out of the London Baptist Confession, a, confession, a reflection on the way that this law can be used, the way that the word of the Lord can be used in the life of the believer to direct and obligate and expose our sinful corruptions, to bring us along in a hatred of sin and a love for the sweet way of our God to bring us into a clear understanding of our need for Christ. Because it's not enough to agree, I think that the law of the Lord is a better way because I also think that I want what I want. (laughs) I need transformed. I need my affections invaded by grace. There's so much more that we can learn in reflection upon the law of our God. But one more thing I want to share with you is redemption in light of the glory of God. Because the psalm does not end with a reflection on on God's proclamation in the heavens and God's proclamation in his word. It says in verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. In all of that reflection, the psalmist's conclusion is, I'm needy. You say, now I know. (laughs) Well, thank goodness, now I know how to live. I'm going to do that next. No, it's one of humility. Man, declare me innocent. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. I have a way and a disposition to presume upon myself, upon others, and upon our God in the way he should have made the universe. Declare me innocent. He doesn't rise up and say, I'm going to pay attention to the law and do it all. He, he lays down in actual humble faith and says, Lord, your way is good. and My way is not. Would you work a thing called redemption? Let's be clear. The psalm could end with self-righteousness. The psalm could end with, I will pay better attention and I will do it better next time. But friends, there is no redemption in that. There is a final revelation. And the final revelation of our God is not the sun or the moon or the stars. And it's not even his law that is in perfect alignment with reality. It's found in many places in the New Testament, but particularly 2 Corinthians 4, 6. We've read it already. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Like, why did he do that? Not because the world needed light, but because the, Lord, the world needed a revelation of the glory of God. So let the God who revealed his glory in the light, in the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Well, where's that? Surely that's in law keeping, Right? in the face of Jesus Christ. There is one who has kept the law. There's one whose very being and life has been in perfect alignment with reality. And it is Jesus Christ. And that one comes to either self-righteous or licentious people like you and I, with all of our wayward desires, stumbling our way through our fallen humanity. 
And he comes with grace to forgive your wandering way. And he comes with grace by means of his purchase on the cross to transform wayward hearts, to grant new desires, to give the gift of faith that you would follow in a new way, by grace, through faith. There is so much that could be reflected upon here. But let us trust that the Spirit who is at work in that creation and the Spirit that has spoken this word the Spirit of the Christ would work in your hearts the very transformation that his gospel brings. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer. This is our prayer that you would work in every soul, that your word would resound with the glorious reality that it brings, and that your grace would come and provide for us what is needed, that we would not be condemned by the law any longer because Jesus has taken our condemnation in our place. We would see the righteousness of our God to condemn and the grace of our God to send the Christ. And that, Lord, that we would see that your way is sweet and that we would see that your way comes from who you are and your glory. Lord, I pray that you would bring transformation in every life in all of our meditation upon your word today, in the coming week, and the weeks to come. Thank you, Lord. We trust you. We trust you for your ongoing work, particularly the work of your spirit by your word in the lives of those who have gathered this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.